Welcome and thanks for listening to the Community Christian Church Podcast. To learn more about Community Christian Church, visit us online at cccsterling.org. Today's message comes from Joy Gruitz. What a beautiful rendition of such a beautiful song. Thank you, Mike and Jen, Susan and Phil. You know, this is a song that has sold over 2.5 million copies and currently is the number one best-selling Christian single of all time. And I think it is a song that has been so well received because it resonates with us. I think at some point all of us have asked that question as believers, what will heaven be like? We've accepted Jesus Christ as our Savior. We know we have this gift of eternal life, but what will life be like in this eternity? And so this morning, before we look at what Jesus has to say about treasures in heaven, I thought it would be good to kind of look and see what the scriptures do tell us about heaven itself. And certainly, the scriptures don't tell us everything we would love to know about heaven. All of our questions certainly are not answered in the scriptures, but the scriptures give us a glimpse of what heaven is like. And the first thing we know is that heaven is a place of joy. King David understood this when he was inspired to write in Psalm 16. When he was talking to the Lord, he says, you will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Heaven is this place of joy because we will have the eternal pleasure of being in the presence of God the Father with his son seated at the right hand and the reality of the beauty and the radiance of being in their presence, the joy of heaven will eclipse any of the beauty and the joy that we experience in our current reality. See, heaven will be a place and is a place of joy because there are no tears. There is no sorrow, there is no pain, there is no death. So heaven is this place of joy, but it is also a place of clarity. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 13, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall fully know, even as I have been fully known. See, in the first century when Paul wrote this, a first century mirror was a piece of metal that was polished, like a polished piece of bronze. And so when they would look in a mirror, they wouldn't see an accurate reflection of themselves. It would be a blurred image. It lacked clarity. And so when Paul was talking about heaven, he was saying that while we are here on earth, our understanding of heaven and our eternal future will be imperfect. We will only catch a glimpse. We will only know in part, but one day we will know fully. And this phrase, know fully, comes from the Greek word epigonosko. And epigonosko means to know exactly, to know accurately, to know experientially. So in heaven, we are going to fully know accurately, experientially, what we now only understand in part, and how amazing it is going to be when we have the clarity of the mystery of our triune God how we will suddenly understand in a fullness of how our God is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, three distinct persons yet one in nature. 
You see, in heaven, our questions will have answers, but I think in all likelihood, many of our questions that seem so important now will not be important when we are in the presence of the one who is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the one is, who is omnipotent, omniscient, and omnipresent. You see, in heaven, in this eternity, we will be with our Lord, but we will also be with all the fellow believers who have gone on before us. The Apostle John wrote in a vision that he saw about heaven in Revelation 7. He said, And this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation and tribe and people and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. See, not only will we be with the friends and families and loved ones that we have known in this lifetime, but the scriptures infer that we are going to get to know people that we have never met, people who have lived long before us. We will have the joy of getting to know men and women like Abraham and Sarah and Moses and Miriam and Mary and Mar Martha and Lazarus, Corey Ten Boom, Billy Graham. We, we, we know this because we can look at a response of Peter when he witnessed the transfiguration of Jesus. You see, Jesus took three of his disciples, Peter, James, and John, to a top of this mountain. And when they arrived there, Jesus was transfigured. The glory of the Lord came upon him. And suddenly in their presence was Moses and Elijah. Look what it says in Mark 9.4. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. Peter, James, and John get to witness this miraculous. And Peter, so overwhelmed by what he's experienced, felt he just should do something to honor this meeting. And so in the next verse, he says, Rabbi, it's good that we, Peter, James, and himself, that we are James and John and himself, that we are here. And then he says, let us make three tents. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. You see, these tents that Peter's referring to were temporary shelters that they would erect during the, the Feast of Tabernacles. And the tent would designate a place where you're going to worship the Lord, where you're going to honor him and meet with him. So Peter's attempt is to honor this meeting by saying, Let's, we'll, we'll erect these tents. But beyond Peter's astonished response and this desire to honor this meeting, it's interesting to note that Peter didn't think these two men that suddenly appeared with Jesus in this transfigured state, that suddenly these two men were angels. He knew who they were. He knew they were Moses and Elijah, and we don't read where Jesus introduced them. So he instinctively knew who they were. See, just as this moment of transfiguration was a moment of heaven on earth, I believe we too, in the moment that we are in heaven, in the presence of the Lord, it will be a remarkable experience for us to be with those whom we have loved, but then to have this experience to meet those we've never met, to meet the Moses and the Elijah, and to have an eternity to fully get to know them. You see, in heaven, we will cherish the loving relationships and experiences that we've had in this lifetime, but all that we have cherished here on earth will be surpassed by personally experiencing the intimacy and the union with our relationship with the Lord. Esther Tursky says, 
from the focus on the family. He says, marriage, the most intimate of human unions, was designed by God as a picture of the bond between Christ and his church. In heaven, what we will experience will be far more intimate, far more beautiful. Our perfect, everlasting union with God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, the kind of love and unity that we will experience with the Lord in heaven will not negate, but it will transcend the greatest love and union a husband and wife can have for each other. It will not negate, but it will transcend the great love that parents have for their children because we will be in the presence of the one who doesn't just love but we will be in the presence of the one who is love. And because we will be in the presence of the one who is love, heaven will feel like home. See, it's a home, the scriptures say, that he has prepared for us. On the night, his last night with his disciples, Jesus was comforting them with the fact that he was preparing a place for them. Look what it says in John 14. He says, in my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. You see, what Jesus revealed to his disciples is true for us as well. He has prepared a place for each one of us. And so heaven will not feel strange. It will feel like home because it has been prepared by the one who fully knows us. So the question is, what are we going to be doing in this heaven, this place of joy and clarity, this place where we will be able to enjoy the love and the friendship of those we love and be in the presence of the Lord? What are we going to do in this eternity? Well, first and foremost, we are going to be worshipers. Look what it says in the book of Revelation, in the vision that John saw about heaven. He said, and I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever. You see, there will be a sound of praise like we have never experienced here on earth. And when we worship the Lord, we will be in his presence and we will worship in a response to his awesome glory. So worship is not going to be laborious. It won't be boring and we won't find our minds wandering. I hope that's, I'm not the only one that's ever happened to. It will be a glorious experience. We will worship the Lord in a way and a capacity is beyond what we can do here on earth because we will worship him out of the wonder and the awe that we have the privilege to be in his presence and offer unto him the glory that is due him because of who he is. So we will minister to the Lord with our worship but we will also be ministers of his with our service. In Revelation 22.3, it says, The throne of God and the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants, that's us, we will serve him. You see, we will minister to the Lord by carrying out his will and purposes in this eternal kingdom. And just as with worship, whatever the Lord will have us to do, 
It will not be a toil. It will not be a hardship. It will be our delight because we will have the honor to serve him and bring glory to him. So in Matthew 16, it also says in heaven that we will have a reward. Look what it says in Matthew. For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. King David knew this truth. Psalm 62, surely you will reward each person. What does it say? According to what he has done. The book of Revelation, the Lord himself declares, look, I am coming soon. My reward is with me, and I will give to each person according to what they have done. Now, last week, Pastor Tony talked about this reward. This reward, and I love the way he framed it, this reward that we will receive will be like an award. So this eternal reward award is going to be based upon what we have done. What we have done with this gift of life that God has given us, what we have done with this gift of salvation that is ours, what we have done with our gifts and talents and blessings, how we have used them to bless others. You see, we cannot earn our salvation by doing good works, but doing good works in this lifetime that align with God's purposes and will are of eternal importance. There is an eternal reward that is linked to how we live out our faith today, which brings us finally to the Sermon of the Mount, where Jesus builds upon this truth when he talks about storing up treasures in heaven. Look what he says in Mark 6, verse 10. Jesus says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, your heart will be also. First of all, Jesus is saying that we can store up treasures in heaven for our eternal future while we are still living here on earth, that both our eternal reward and our eternal treasures are tied to how we live out our faith today. But secondly, Jesus is saying it's important for us to understand that we do have this heavenly focus, that we do store up heavenly treasures because what you treasure reveals the condition of your heart. And as we are learning throughout this sermon series, there is this thread that Jesus consistently weaves throughout this sermon, that it is important to Jesus the condition of our heart. Pastor Chris, two or three weeks ago, talked about the importance of the desires, having the right desires in our hearts. Last week, Pastor Tony talked about the motives of our heart. And today, Jesus is saying, I want you to think about what you treasure in your heart. You know, in Luke 12, Jesus again addresses this important issue. It's a time in his ministry where he is on a mountainside and he's gathered together his disciples. And it's not just the 12, it's those who have made a choice to follow him. And he's taking this moment to teach them some profound truths about, you know, being aware or being aware that they should not get involved in the sin of hypocrisy. 
that they should uh, understand that they need not fear persecution and that God is with them and that God values them. So he's teaching these important truths. And apparently there are crowds of people that are also following Jesus. And it says there's, the crowd is so large, they're almost trampling on each other. I guess trying to hear what Jesus is teaching his disciples. When suddenly a man from the crowd interrupts what Jesus is teaching and he is asking Jesus that if he would just intervene on his behalf, he wants Jesus to command his brother to share equally in the family inheritance. You see, in the Jewish law and tradition, the oldest son would get a double portion of a family inheritance. So apparently this man is not the older brother. And so he's saying, Jesus, tell my brother to share equally. It isn't fair that he gets the double portion. Well, Jesus' response isn't what this man expected, for this is what Jesus said in verse 15. He said, take care and be on guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. See, Jesus was getting to the heart of the matter. He was addressing what was in the heart of this man. You see, this man was so focused on the earthly inheritance, an earthly treasure, that he was willing in front of everyone to interrupt Jesus' teaching to try to handle this personal matter that he felt was an injustice. You see, the problem he wanted Jesus to solve revealed what was in this man's heart. This man was in the presence of Jesus, yet all he was focused on was on the material, the temporal, instead of the spiritual and the eternal. And so Jesus used this interruption as a teachable moment, for he began to teach about a parable and a, about a farmer. Verse 16 of Luke 12 says, the land of a rich man produced plentiful and so the man thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he says, this is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grains and all my goods. And then I will say to myself, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. This farmer's crop this year was so abundant that he knew that the barns that he currently had would not be big enough to store all of the grain. And so he makes this decision, I'm gonna tear down all of my barns, I'm gonna build bigger barns so I can keep every piece of grain to myself. So I will have this financial security for years to come, I can sit back, eat, drink, and be merry. But then the parable went on. Verse 20, but God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. The tragedy in this parable with this farmer is that he foolishly missed out on an eternal opportunity. Instead of keeping every piece of grain to himself, he could have filled all of the existing barns and had enough 
And then he could have taken the abundance and out of a heart acknowledging that God is his source, that God was the one who blessed him with this abundant harvest, and that he could have taken the extra to bless someone who was in need. He could have given out of the abundance to do a good work of giving, and that would have become an eternal treasure. He would have been rich toward God, rich in his relationship with God by acknowledging that God was the source from whom all his blessings flowed. You see, what we do in this lifetime does matter in eternity. You see, our God is so amazing. When we give, God blesses us on this side of heaven. But God is saying your giving can also be a treasure that blesses you in eternity. This is why Paul said in his admonition to Timothy, 1 Timothy 6. Timothy is now pastoring the church that Paul had established in Ephesus. And he says, Timothy, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant and not to put their hope. Another translation is trust. Not to put their hope, not to put their trust in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. You see, to be a Christian doesn't mean that the Lord is requiring that we live in an impoverished state. We can enjoy the good things of life, but here is the key. Where do you put your hope? Where do you put your trust? Is it in God, in your relationship with Him, trusting that He will supply your need? Are you trusting in that principle of giving that says, if I give, the Lord says, I will receive, pressed down, shaken together, and running over? Or is my trust in my bank account, in my financial investments, my 401k? Because Paul warns, if that is where your trust is, then that's where your treasure is in your heart. And he is warning, if that is where your trust and treasure is, then you're putting your trust in something very uncertain because financial security can be upended in a moment, something I think we can all relate to. This is why Jesus says, don't put your trust in things that the moth and rust destroy and thieves can break in and steal. Don't put your trust in the things that are the material. Put your trust in the one who is eternal. You see, it's not the what, it is the who. Paul went on to say, so command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share in this way, doing good deeds, being generous and sharing in this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, for eternal future so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. So it's clear Paul is saying we should be rich in good deeds, be generous and share, because this way we store up treasures in heaven. But I'll have to admit that when I first began to study these verses years ago, I was a bit perplexed because when you looked at that opening verses where Paul commands Timothy to command the rich you know, to be willing to give. It seemed to me that Paul was telling Timothy how the rich can have this eternal advantage over those who are not so rich. And so at first glance, I was really perplexed and I kind of felt like the man who interrupted Jesus' sermon because I said, Lord, that doesn't seem fair. 
because that means then people who are rich have more from which they can bless, which means they can store up more treasure. That doesn't seem fair, Lord. But then I recalled and was reminded of an account in the Gospel of Mark where Jesus is standing by a collection box in the temple in, in Jerusalem. And he's watching all day as people are putting in their offerings of money. And Jesus observed how the rich put in, it says, large amounts of money. But then comes a poor widow. And what did the scripture say? Two copper pennies worth, or two copper coins worth a penny. And again, Jesus used what he observed to be a teachable moment. For in Mark 12, Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I tell you the truth. This poor widow has given more than all the others, for they gave a tiny part of their surplus, but she, poor as she is, has given everything she had to live on. You see, when it comes to giving, it isn't the amount we give in comparison to someone else. God doesn't look at our giving based upon what we don't have. It's based upon what we do have. So when that widow gave two coins worth a penny that had more to God, that had more eternal value, is far greater than all the money that had been put in all day. And here is what is important for us to grasp. For that widow woman to put in those two coins, which was all she had to live on, you know that her trust was in the Lord that her act of giving became a great treasure stored in heaven because it was given not to gain something, but it was given as an expression of who she treasured. That woman gave because she treasured the Lord in her heart. And I believe the purpose of Paul's command to the rich in Ephesus wasn't instructing them on how to gain an eternal reward advantage but rather it was a warning to the rich, warning them that the pursuit and the accumulation of wealth and material things can become a dangerous trap for us, where we begin to trust the size of our bank account and we look to our finances for security instead of trusting in God. It is easy to begin to trust the things of this world more than we treasure the Lord. It creeps into our heart. And perhaps this is why Jesus, as he continued his sermon about treasures in heaven, he said this, the eye is like a lamp that provides light for your body. And when your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light. But when your eye is unhealthy, your whole body is filled with darkness. And if the light you have, you think you have, is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is. No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. Another translation says you cannot serve God and money. You see, what Jesus is saying is the worst spiritual blindness is when you think your life is filled with light, when in fact there is darkness. And the darkness Jesus is specifically talking and warning us about is the ease by which the pursuit of money and its perceived security can become our master. And sometimes, even without realizing it, it can creep into our hearts. And so Jesus instructs, is instructing us in this sermon 
to guard our hearts from being enslaved to the material by focusing and being invested in the eternal. And one of the best ways that we can guard our hearts is to use our blessings to bless others, to be a giver, to be a cheerful giver, to give not just out of obedience, which God does honor, but to give as an expression of who we treasure. You see, I believe it delights the Lord when our motivation for giving, whether it's the giving of our finances or giving of ourselves, our time, our gifts, our talents, I believe it delights the Lord that when our motivation for giving is like that of the widow, giving from a heart that treasures the Lord and wholly puts its trust in Him. And so this morning, let's take a moment to examine our hearts, to ask the Lord to reveal to us what he sees as the condition of our heart. And so would you bow your heads with me? As I'm going to pose some very difficult questions about the condition of our hearts, questions that each one of us need to answer, answer honestly. The first question, where do I put my trust? Especially right now, where we are in an economy that's spiraling into uncertainty, inflation is soaring, our financial investments are losing value, is my trust in God or in maintaining that financial security? My second set of questions. Ask yourself, when I give, what is my motive for giving? Do I give as a way to glorify and honor the Lord as my source? as my treasure? And where is my focus? Where is my energy? To lay up treasures here on earth? Is that my pursuit? Or lay up treasures in heaven? Is my trust tied to what I treasure? Or is my trust and my treasure in the Lord? Dear Father, we come to you this morning. Gracious Heavenly Father, you are so, so good to us. As we have examined our hearts very honestly, you know how human we are, how things creep into our hearts, sometimes even unnoticed. And so this morning, forgive us for the moments where we have failed to treasure you like we should in our hearts, where we've put our trust in what we have instead of who you are. Lord, we acknowledge that we have given, there are times we've given out of obedience and you have been so faithful to your word, you have blessed us. But Lord, today we want to give not just out of obedience to your word, but we want to be givers who give from a heart that treasures you, that treasures our relationship with you. And so this morning, our choice is to put our trust in you, not what we have, Lord, but who you are. This morning, we set our eyes on the eternal instead of on the temporal. Jesus, we treasure you. We treasure your presence in our lives. Amen.